here at Harvest and just want to welcome you here, excited about Jesus Christ, what he's doing here in this place. And we've uh, started, kicked off a series last week entitled Firm Foundations. And last week we looked at unapologetic preaching and Pastor Mark walked through a passage of really just the, the, the fact, the preeminence of scripture in our lives and, and just an exciting passage that we walked through then. This week we're going to be looking at and continuing on in Firm Foundations with, with uh, that of worship, of lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. And, you know, as we're talking about lifting high the name of Jesus Christ, who better to hear on how we should go about doing that but that Jesus himself. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, We're going to walk through a a narrative, a a story here that we see of Jesus, an encounter that he had uh, with a woman in in which he says some pretty profound things about worship and really going to lay it out as to what worship is, what worship truly is. And uh, if you've got your Bibles there, you're looking in John chapter 4, we're going to kind of pick things up in verse 20, but... But if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, kind of set the scene here a little bit. And you see here, if you know anything about some of the most familiar verses in Scripture, John 3, 16. That's the chapter before. And he was teaching on salvation. Then we hear a little bit about John the Baptist and some interaction that his disciples, Jesus' disciples and John's disciples had. And then we get to chapter 4 in verse 3. It says, he left Judea and departed to Galilee And he had to pass through Samaria. So he and his disciples are down in Galilee in that wilderness area. They're going to go up, or or in Judea in that wilderness area, going to go up to to Galilee. And in order to do that, they have to pass through Samaria. I mean, you can kind of sense it right now, even by the words I said. And he had to pass through Samaria. Not something that the Jews generally like to do. And the Samaritans weren't real popular amongst the Jews. Years before, they had intermarried with the people of the land and just kind of watered down the religion. And, and they were really looked down upon. And, and so we see in verse 6, and, and Jesus is going through, he, he goes to Jacob's well. And so Jesus was weary from his journey, and he sits down at Jacob's well. And it says it's about the sixth hour, so it's about noon. So it's in the heat of the day, Jesus plops down by the well, the disciples had gone on into town to, to, to do a little grocery shopping and to, to get some food, and verse 7, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And so this Samaritan woman comes up to the well, Jesus is sitting by the well, can you see it? And she comes up with her big pot that's going to draw out the water they're going to use for the day. Jesus is there, he's tired, he looks at the woman and he says... Um, hey, can you give me a drink? And and then the lady is kind of startled by this in verse 9, and the Samaritan woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And so we see here this encounter, she's like startled because what in the world, Jews, especially a, a male Jew, to ask for a, a, a Samaritan woman for a drink, they just, it just didn't happen. She hardly even knows what, what to say there, and Jesus taking this conversation and, and really taking it down a level into spiritual things, he says, uh, well, if you knew who I was and what I had to offer, 
you wouldn't be asking for water. You'd be asking for living water. Water that, that you would drink and never be thirsty again. This eternal living water. And the lady, she, the Samaritan lady, she says, okay, I'll take some of that water then. I'll take that. And Jesus kind of gives it the, okay, not so fast. I don't think you quite understand what I'm talking about here. He says, so why don't you go get your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, well, you're right, you don't, because you've been married five times, and the guy you're living with right now isn't your husband. And so Jesus, showing his deity, the supernatural ability of, of knowing what else was going on, shares a little bit, challenges her in this, in this area of sin in her life, and also revealing his deity. And, and we see then... Uh, Verse 19, and the woman said, well, I perceive that you are a prophet. And I really didn't do that justice when I read that because you can just imagine the woman. This man had just revealed something that no way in the world should he have been able to know that and something that she would have been very embarrassed for people to know there. And he reveals this and all of a sudden she realizes there's something different about this man. He must be a prophet. There's something supernatural about him that he could reveal something like this. And that's where we pick up here with the passage of where we're going to look at because Jesus now is ready to turn the conversation to something very important, and that's to the subject of worship. And so if you're taking notes here, uh, in your notes, number one, worship in spirit and truth. Worship in spirit and truth. In verse 20, it says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So the, so the Samaritan woman confronted with her sin, all of a sudden, what does she do? Well, she, she's trying to, to, to spin the conversation. Let's get off of this and let's change the subject here. And so, oh, okay, okay, you're, you must be a prophet. Well, I'm going to change the subject to, you say we should, we should worship in Jerusalem the Samaritans, my people say we should worship here in this place. How do you reconcile those two things? And verse 21, and Jesus said to her, uh, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And so she spins this conversation of, on to worship, and she says, look, I mean, the Samaritans, they, they worship here on, on Mount Gerizim. Uh, it's the place where Abraham had offered the sacrifice and Isaac, and, and they had taken that place, and they'd made that their place of worship. The Samaritans, who would only really adhere to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and really kind of disregarded all the rest of Scripture there, and and, and so she says, but the, but, but the Jews, they say Jerusalem and that. And Jesus is like, guy, you, you need to understand, ma'am, it doesn't matter where you worship. Trust me, it's not going to matter. Very soon, these, the, these trivial places of where to worship isn't going to matter because you're going to need to worship wherever you're at. And it's more important who you're going to worship. And, and so verse uh, 22 then 
He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. He's saying, look, you're worshiping with, with, with just a partial bit of Scripture, with an incomplete knowledge of what God has revealed, the revelation of Scripture up to that point. You're just using just a little bit of Scripture, the first five books. The Jews were using all of the Scripture at the time. He says, and they're using all that, but salvation is from the Jews, and he's about ready to reveal what that salvation is. That salvation was from a Jewish carpenter who was fully man and fully God, who was the Son of God. And that that would come through the Jewish line, the seed of Abraham, for salvation is from the Jews. But here we get to the key phrases here, but verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The hour is coming. Actually, it's here right now where the true worshipers of the Father are going to worship Him in spirit and truth. The time is here, Jesus is saying, when now what's most important about worship and worshiping the Father is going to take place this worship of, or worship in spirit and truth for the Father. God the Father is seeking people to worship Him. God is seeking people to worship Him. So, so when we're talking about what is this worship that He's talking about, well, just the definition of worship, if you look up worship, you'll see things like this, to honor or to reverence a being, to regard with great respect, honor, or devotion to an object of esteem. That honor and devotion that we see literally, literally the, the, the word in, in the Greek of worship uh, proskuneo, it, 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 get, it gives the idea, it literally means to bow down. Worship, to bow down, to give honor, to highly esteem. The, the opposites of worship, if we're going to give some, some antonyms here, opposite of worship would be to despise or detest or loathe. That would be just the opposite of that is what they're talking about here in worship and to worship in spirit and truth. Verse 24 God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So now he gives some insight, really the key to worship that we see from Jesus. For he says that God is spirit. God is immaterial. It's not the, about the physical side of things. And because God the Father is this immaterial, this, this invisible person here in order to worship we must worship in spirit and in truth we must worship here in spirit and not talking about the holy spirit but in the inner man of the spirit of man in the heart attitude in, in the internal that which can't be touched and seen but our worship comes from the inside from spirit from the heart and also from truth and what is the truth that we see? Or truth is, is really, it's, it's being consistent to biblical truth and biblical teaching. Worship is about the inward expressed in the outward. 
So worship must be internal. It's not just going through different rituals and ceremonies. And while they may play a part in worship, that's just the exterior and the physical. It's coming, needs to be coming from the heart. Worship must be from the heart and centered on Christ, the incarnate word. Jesus Christ in John 1 said, in the beginning was the word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the living Word. In John 14, 6, he said, "What I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We talk about worship. It's that internal expression, or internally expressing outwardly. Worship is, is simply this. Worship is this. All of me, all for him. Say that with me. All of me, all for him. Now say it again really big now. Ready? All of me, all for him. One more time. Say it. Absolutely. Worship is all of me, all for him. To worship him in spirit and truth. It's the outward expression based on the inward devotion that we see. And so my question to you is, with that definition that Jesus laid out, how's your worship? How's your worship this past week? Are you maybe even like this Samaritan woman where you've just encountered Jesus and you're just trying to figure him out? If so, good news. He's going to continue to reveal himself to her, and he will reveal himself to you. The Father is is looking, is seeking for those that would become worshipers of him. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how is your worship this week? Are are, are you like me? And, And sometimes, unfortunately, while I've been a follower of Christ for many, many years, and I go through weekly the rituals of worship, and yet it becomes stale. It becomes hollow. The outward may be there, but the inward devotion and worship may be lacking at times. The truth is this. God created us worshipers. We are always worshiping something or someone. And for me, sometimes that's God. And sometimes it's other things that have gotten distracted off of. Or many times, it's me that I'm worshiping in the moment. How's your worship? Has it become dry, stale? Well, here's some thoughts here, some suggestions, if you will. I'm going to list down through a lot of things. You do not need to write all of this down. But as I went through and kind of studying through and looking for some practical things this week, so how do we get back to this spirit and truth worship What could that look like? What could be some things? I kind of listed a number of things. If something jumps out at you, I'll just jot that down here because I'm going to call you actually to do some homework this week as it relates to worship. But number one is, how about just having reminders? Putting something on you or around you that would remind you to, to moment by moment daily be worshiping God. It may be something as simple as a rubber band that I put around my wrist. Something that every time I see this, it, makes, it reminds me, take a moment and worship God. 
Take a moment and worship. Maybe it's something you set on your desk. Maybe it's a post-it that you put around the house or something throughout this week to remind you, turn it to worship, turn it to worship as you go throughout the day. How about uh, music or some type of, of, of the arts? And, and we a lot of times go to this, and it's a natural thing, uh, and we think of that a lot of times, but listening to worship music, singing worship music, playing worship music at home, uh, in the car, having your headphones in at times when you're down times, going for a walk with, he- with worship music on and just adjusting your focus and lifting your praise in those moments. It may be getting up early and watching a sunrise and seeing all of creation that reveals itself. It may be as, as you're sitting out at sunset. And taking those times to reflect. It may be something if you're artistic. How about taking and actually just drawing a picture to God. And lifting up somehow and using those artistic things. It won't be me doing that. I'll just say that. But I know some others can worship God in many different ways. Number three, how about in scripture? And, and yeah, we, we know that we're to read our Bible. But sometimes it helps me if I take my Bible and go outside and read. Go to a different spot. A different location. Sometimes things like that just kind of help to, to, to freshen things up. It's meditating on a verse or passage, making a list of the characteristics of God that we see in his word, reflecting and praising on him. How about in prayer? How about instead of just the normal ways in which you might pray or throughout the day, but actually getting aside and adjusting your posture in prayer? Things like lifting your hands, uh, like praying out loud with your eyes open. Or uh, uh, kneeling or getting low as you're in time of prayer and going to someplace different. Things to kind of make it more of a, uh, of a true expression of worship instead of just the normal routine of things. And I, I want to be careful. Routines are good. They've got their place. Okay? It can be very helpful at times, but other times it may help to mix things up. How about Solitude. How about solitude? How about, how about taking an hour and getting away, maybe getting outside or someplace else? Do, do me a favor. Take that cell phone, put it somewhere else, and actually just get away and be quiet and listen to what God may be saying to you. Opening up his word and just reading a little bit and then quietly listening to what God has to say to you from his word. How about fasting? where we remove something for the sake of, of, of worship, of prayer. It, some, it could be food. It may be uh, skipping a lunch to take that time to pray. But we can fast from other things. How about this? You ready? How about taking a fast from grumbling? A whole day where I'm not going to complain about anything. I'm going to fast from grumbling or complaining. How about setting aside this uh, day for that this week? How about, how about giving? How about a giving of your time and, and maybe helping to serve in, in some way or, or some need that you come across or, or maybe taking something and, and just tightening up your budget here for, the, for this week or this month and, and instead of using this money that I would normally buy for, I'm going to take it, I'm going to use it to help someone in need or, 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 or something project there. I'm going to do without to give to something and to meet a need. How about an attitude? thanksgiving and, and, and praise and, and just sitting down and writing, I don't know, just seven things to be thankful for. 
Each night before you go to bed, just have a little notepad there and just say, what, what can I be thankful for? Where did I see God work today that I can praise him for? And just jotting that down and, and, and saying, Lord, thank you for this. I acknowledge you were at work here. You're worth my prayer. How about obedience? How about that one area of your life? You know the one that you've been keeping to yourself, that you've been holding back and saying, no, Lord, I'm going to worship you all of me, all for you. I'm going to give you this area, what, that thing that I've been holding back. Maybe uh, uh, taking a moment and, and, and setting an alarm and getting up in the middle of the night or getting up earlier than normal just to take a time of worship Lastly here, what about celebration? How about remembering anniversaries and special times that God worked in your life? We just spent the last seven weeks here uh, walking through the Jewish feast and celebration. Why how about creating your own little Jewish feast? About something very personal where God worked in your life, where God did an amazing thing in your family and you saw God work and we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate that as a family. How about little monuments in your life? Many times the Jews were called, what, take, put 12 stones right there at the edge of the river so that every time for years to come afterwards you walk by, you, your children would say, Dad, what, what are those 12 stones for? You can say, this is where God did whatever it was, and you can use it as a time of worship. How about putting those, doing things around the house to remember God our awesome God who worked in your life. You can go on and on. <laughs> but making worship fresh from the heart, passionately worshiping your God. As I was thinking about worship, there's a lot of examples that we see in Scripture. And one of my favorites, though, is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Remember when David... Remember David had become king, he had gone in, he'd, he'd, he'd cleaned out and, and, and just conquered all of the Philistines and they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant up to, it says, the city of David, which is Bethlehem, and in the process, a couple of guys, Uzzah and, and Ohio brothers here, they're transporting the Ark on this cart, remember the story, and the, 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 the horse, donkey, stumbles and the ark starts to slip, and Uzzah reaches up and, and goes to steady the ark, and it, he touched the ark, that which should not have been touched. They were supposed to carry him with the big long poles down the side so that you could say because of the holiness of God, the presence of God in that place, and he touched it. And it says God's anger is righteous indignation, and Uzzah dies from that. David is distraught. It says he, he was angry and he was afraid. And David's like, this, this should not have been something of celebration and it cost this man his life and the anger. And then he saw, because of the holiness of God, he was afraid. And so he, he leaves the ark here with an individual. It says for three months. And over those three months, everything around that individual is blessed to the point that everybody notices and word gets back to David and David says, okay, it's time. And he calls for the ark to come up. They literally 
take the ark. They get six steps with the ark, and he immediately sacrifices, <laughs> makes a sacrifice to God. And as they're bringing in this ark, it says this. It says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. David runs out, and he's so excited that he just, yeah, this is unbelievable. And he's, and he's dancing, and, and he's not wearing his, his, his kingly garment. He's kind of in his underclothes. He's in his sweatpants. He's in the sweats, and he's just hanging out, but he's so excited about what God is doing, and he's worshiping his God, and he's leading the parade with the ark coming in. And his wife, Michael's sitting up in the window, and she's going, I can't believe this. He's the king. How can he act like that? And David says, I was worshiping before the Lord. My worship was for the Lord. It had nothing to do with you. He says, I will get even more undignified than this in my worship of God. It's all about his worship of his God. When's the last time you got that excited? And it wasn't a football game. We have no trouble with that. But yet, do we get that excited about worshiping the king of kings? Yeah. So how's your worship? How you doing? What's an area, what's a couple of things that you can be doing this week to be worshiping your God? Here's your challenge. Write down three things that you can do differently this week to worship. I, I gave you a whole lot of thoughts and suggestions. You may have more. Write down a couple, three things. This week, I'm going to, and go, to go after my worship. What would that be? Number two, see Jesus in all his greatness and invite others to see the same. See Jesus in all of his greatness and invite others to see the same. Verse 25, it says, And then the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus had just said, worship in spirit and in truth. The father's sick in that. And she's like, okay, I, I, I'm getting what you're saying, but I, I know that the Messiah is coming. I'm looking towards the Messiah, the Christ, the one whom God would say. When he comes, then all these questions will be answered. And then Jesus here pulls back the curtain and Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, that may not have as much of a, a profound impact to us as it would have for her. Actually, in the English translation, we kind of cleaned it up so it would make sense in the word order there. But actually, the word he is not in the text, in the Greek. Literally, what he says is, I am who is speaking to you. This is one of those statements of God declaring, I am God. He was always hesitant in, in revealing his, his deity and the Messiah and the Jews were looking for someone to come up and overthrow the Roman government. And so a lot of times he was pulling back and keeping that. And isn't it interesting that a Samaritan woman is one of the people that he reveals his deity, that he is the Messiah. 
He says, I who speak to you in him. Verse 27, then just as, as the disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with this woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people. So, so here he is. Jesus makes this unbelievable, monumental Statement of deity that he is God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. And the disciples come walking up and they're just like, okay, this is very unusual. What is he doing? Talking to this, what is he doing? Breaking all of these social norms and, and the cultural things that, that this is. This isn't right, but what, what is going on? What's he, what's he asking? What's he looking for? Why is he talking to her? But she hears this statement, and I think this is actually when she came to saving faith. And she's so excited about this, she leaves her water. The whole purpose of why she came to the well was to get water. She leaves it behind, and she takes off running to tell other people. Running to tell others. What has just happened? It says, and she said to the people, verse 29, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Come, you got to check out this guy. You can't believe. He's telling me things that he should not have known. He told me everything that I'd done. We see a little bit of exaggeration here in her excitement, but yet she's like, this guy is different. you got to come and check this out. Could this be? Might this be? Is this the Messiah? And so this woman who I'm sure was looked down upon and at times ostracized, for her lifestyle, for her, for her behaviors, goes to the very people that I'm sure would have looked down on her normally, and she says, you need to come and see Jesus. And what happens there, verse 30, and they went out of the town and were coming to him. And the people hear her, and they follow her to come see Jesus. Now, what, what, what happens because of this? Well, if you skip down a little bit, verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many people were saved because of this immoral Samaritan woman and her testimony. This is what God has done in me. This is what Jesus has done in me. And many were saved. But not only that, verse 41, and many more believed because of his, Jesus, his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What's the message there? Declare what Jesus has done. Show it to others and challenge them to come to Christ. That's what the Samaritan woman has done. Let me ask you, 
little bit of change of subject. Have you guys ever seen those people are awesome videos? You ever seen the people are awesome? Maybe you saw it on Facebook. That's where I first saw it. They're on YouTube. And they're these short little vignettes of people doing these unusual tricks. Maybe guys on skateboards, maybe a skydiver, maybe a gymnast, maybe something like that. But sometimes one of my favorites is the guy that just chucks a basketball up over the house and it takes one bounce and then goes into the basket in there that he couldn't even see. And just these amazing things that, 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 that people do that they've caught on video. Not only that, they also have fail army, which is just the opposite Okay, I see him some nods now. You guys have seen those, right? That's where people try to do these amazing things and then wipe out horribly. My favorite is people are awesome versus fail army videos. And they show someone doing something amazing and then someone doing something, trying to imitate that and, and just wiping out disastrously. But one of the things that I see any time that I come across or maybe see something like that on Facebook or something and, and we're around, you start watching these things. And the first thing that, that I'm inclined to do, and I think most do, is you hit the pause button and you turn to whoever's around. I'm like, hey, come here. You got to see this. Check this out. This is unbelievable. And that's point number two. When God has rocked your world and God's doing some amazing things in you, turning and saying, hey, get over, check this out. Let me tell you what Jesus has done. And he did this for me. He can do it for you. Bringing them to Jesus. So let me ask you this. What's God done in your life? Where's God working in your life? Maybe this past week, maybe over the past few months, we've seen God do some incredible things. In our family, we have. We've seen God work in some, some just miraculous ways. And during some scary times, do we just kind of, whew, well, that was a close one. Or does it drive us to worship God? And then to tell others about Jesus and what he can do. Worship. Worship Jesus this week in spirit and in truth. All of me, all for him. Say it one more time. All of me, 